Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon recapping a wild wacky week three Sunday in the NFL. Isn't it always amazing how this happens one afternoon with more hits, more show stopping moments than an entire weekend of the era's tour. And yes, that was intentional because where where else could we start on this Monday morning than definitely not the most entertaining game of the day. Uh, but it, it's not every weekend in the NFL you get a crossover moment of sports and pop culture quite like we saw in Kansas City on Sunday afternoon. Maybe you've heard Taylor Allison Swift drops in on a Kansas City Chiefs game to support friend, crush, lover, pardon that pun. No, no pardoning the puns. It's going to be the first of many. Taylor Swift begins her NFL era as she watches the Kansas City Chiefs make swift work of the Chicago Bears, 41 to 10. The game itself over by halftime. The story is going to go on for days and days and days. That's why even, you know, having a moment to talk about it here with our own Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, that's where I had to start. That was That's maybe the dominant storyline of week three, or at least one of them. Check out my chat with the guys as we try to break down what it all means when Taylor Swift goes to a Chiefs game. All right, y'all, I had the entire second half to think of a Taylor Swift joke. So did you ever in your wildest dreams imagine a scene like this with uh, with Taylor Swift overseeing the proceedings there in Kansas City? Well, I mean, we were kind of hoping that <laughs> she would come. I know we all talked about it, but I, I guess we didn't really know for sure. And then uh, when we found out for the game that she was going to be here, it was, it was pretty cool. Not going to lie. That was that was the story of the game because let's face this thing was over after the first quarter. Uh, the Chiefs look great. Travis Kelsey got a touchdown. Taylor Swift is chest bumping in, in Kelsey. I mean, it was awesome. Uh, so it was a fun storyline, Dave, no doubt. So you mentioned it. I mean, this one was over pretty quick, but the Chiefs get back to their high-flying ways. Are we feeling great about the Chiefs' offense, or is this kind of an indictment of where the Bears are right now? You know, it's probably a combination of both, I think, from what we've seen out of this Bears defense thus far. I mean, even dating back to last year, the offseason improvements haven't really come to fruition quite yet. So this defense in Chicago has a lot of work to do, but I think you have to feel good about the, where the Chiefs are offensively after a rough first couple weeks and, and kind of playing below the standard that they've set over the last five or six years. Um, this looked a lot more like the, the Chiefs offense that we're yeah. accustomed to seeing. Mahomes leading it up and down, Kelsey getting back in the action, getting these young guys going. So I think this combination of this young defense in Kansas City and a Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey offense, you got to feel pretty good right now if you're a Chiefs fan. A, a very fun day for Chiefs fans and for Swifties. Guys, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. See you, Appreciate Dave. It. Thanks, Dave. Okay, aside from the paparazzi stuff, a football game was played at GEHA Stadium at Arrowhead Field. I hope I said that right. Regardless of the opposition, this was the Kansas City Chiefs that we've gotten so used to seeing over the years. This is what we expected to happen. Chicago Bears looking like an overmatched opponent. The Chiefs treated them that way. Kansas City scored 13 points in the five final couple minutes of the first half to put this thing out of reach. Again, like we said at the break, 456 yards by the Chiefs, four different gains of 20 plus yards, the explosiveness, the downfield passing. It all it, it, it looked like the team that we've got so used to seeing with two Super Bowl wins in the last few years. Patrick Mahomes completes 73 percent of his passes for 272 and three touchdowns threw a pass to 10 different receivers in this game. But as Pat told Aaron Andrews himself after this game, the really eye-opening thing and the encouraging thing, if you're a Chiefs fan, is that they managed to run the ball for 153 yards in this game. I, Isaiah Pacheco, even Clyde Edwards-Hilaire getting involved in this thing, showing some multi-dimensional ability with this offense. I'll say, it, I'll say it one more time. It is the Chicago Bears, but this is what you're supposed to do when you play an overmatched team. Several teams around the league, we will get to them, did not manage to handle business against lesser opposition. But you can only play the team in front of you. Chiefs punt on their first possession in this game and then go seven straight possessions with points. And that's how Patrick Mahomes winds up sitting out the final 20 minutes of gameplay. Odds are not going to go down as the most impressive win of the season. 
but but you'll take it as a way of of getting to two and one, getting your offense clicking, hoping to you know hopefully building some confidence and and absolutely handled this Bears team. We talked all week about what turmoil the Bears are in, and man, they looked like it. Two hundred and three yards of offense didn't score any points until the score was forty one to nothing. They, I mean, they they look about as bad as you can look in the NFL right now, but. Like I said, Chiefs Chiefs do what they need to do. They improved to two and one. Got the New York Jets coming up next. Now, okay, we did justice to the football part of this thing, right? But man, I cannot wait to see where or if this storyline goes somewhere with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is in his box with Mama Kelsey cheering him on. He finishes with 69 yards and a touchdown. You know Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid were trying to get Travis Kelsey a touchdown with Taylor Swift watching in a Chiefs jacket from his suite. I mean, I know I know the lady wrote an album called Red, but this is ridiculous. So look, I would I would advise you just get used to it. Uh, regardless of how much you like Taylor Swift, regardless of how big of a football fan you are, this is going to be a storyline for at least the next couple weeks or or heaven forbid if if they continue to be seen in public they were together after the game they even got into a getaway car afterwards perfect i don't want to hear it i don't care if you've got bad blood if you're just tired of hearing about taylor swift because this isn't going to go anywhere and you have to admit this is going to be a game that goes down in kansas city folklore having Taylor Swift in attendance, rooting on the Chiefs, watching their offense have a chance to shake it off, shake off the rust and drop 40 points in front of the queen herself. She even, she dropped, she went Tom Brady on us when Kelsey scored his touchdown. I'm, I'm not a lip reader, but I saw LFG. Let's go from Taylor Swift after that touchdown. It was so exciting. Chiefs offense looked amazing. It was death by a thousand cuts for the Chicago Bears. Just drive after drive after drive. They must have felt like they were never going to get out of the woods in this game. All right. I think I've probably fit in enough Taylor Swift puns here in this segment. But whether it annoys you or not, this is going to be a moment that we remember all too well. I really enjoyed it. The Chiefs and Taylor Swift take a top spot in our Sunday six this week because they made a statement However big a statement it might have been, the Chiefs did not make history. The Miami Dolphins made history. You talk about a statement win. I, I don't think that does it justice. The Miami Dolphins defeat the Denver Broncos 70-20 to 20 in their home opener at Hard Rock Stadium. Yes, 70, 70 points. That's it's not a typo. You're not mishearing things. It's not a basketball game. 70 points, 10 touchdowns. We were joking here in the studio on Sunday afternoon. Miami Dolphins kicker had a 10-point day in fantasy football without kicking a field goal. Silly, silly stuff. So many video game stats. The Dolphins came three points away from the NFL record for points scored, which has stood since 1940, set by the Chicago Bears. They absolutely could have tied it. They were in, in easy field goal range in the final minute of the game. Mike, Mike McDaniel decides to kneel this thing out, says after the game that... That felt like chasing points. Maybe that's bad karma for the Dolphins. I appreciate that. They didn't have anything else to prove in this game. 726 yards of offense, the second highest total in league history. They throw for 376 yards, and somehow that seems less impressive than the 350 rushing yards. There's so many quirky stats i said this a few weeks ago when you win a game like this the pr staff is working overtime to account for all of the weird stats Tua tongue of iloa threw more touchdowns four than incompletions three in this game i think it's it's too early to be worried about the mvp race but Tua tongue of iloa absolutely the early front runner for nfl mvp the dolphins are the only undefeated team in the afc Tua slinging the rock around Offense looks incredible. Even even the backup got in on it. Mike White throws a touchdown. And then you have a, a, a coming out party for your rookie running back, Devon A-Chain. It's so fun to see a plan come together. If you follow the NFL draft, Devon A-Chain, the rookie running back out of Texas A&M, one of the fastest players in college football last year. And the minute 
the Dolphins drafted him in the third round in the spring. You said, that makes sense. Mike McDaniel wants another speed demon to add to his roster full of track stars as if he didn't have enough. A-Chain carries the ball 18 times for 200 yards and two touchdowns. That's not enough. Four receptions for 30 and another couple touchdowns. Raheem Mostert had a huge day. Raheem Mostert with 82 yards and three touchdowns, and that's like an afterthought. Ho-hum, good for you. Speaking of afterthoughts, Tyreek Hill, nine catches for 157 and a touchdown. Feels totally normal. Didn't even stop to think about the fact that Tua and Tyreek were doing this without Jalen Waddell sat out of this game. Didn't even think about it until the second or third quarter when I saw Waddell in street clothes on the sideline. I was like, oh, right. They're doing all of this without that guy. And oh, by the way, the defense had a wonderful day. I mean, you're not going to get your shine on a day when the offense scores 70 points and basically sets every modern record for offense. But they forced three turnovers against Russell Wilson and the Broncos. And they don't allow a second half point until the, <laughs> until the last nine minutes of the game when the score was 63 to 13. So yeah, if you want to let up, let the Broncos get to a 20 spot when you've already scored 63. I guess that's your prerogative. This, this can't be what Sean Payton envisioned when he decided to get back into coaching, even, even knowing that the Broncos had a rough season last year and that this would take some time. This is easily, this is easily the worst loss of his head coaching tenure. It's worse by 17 points and 200 yards than a 47 to 14 loss that he suffered with the New Orleans Saints back in 2015 to Washington. Just, I mean, you go watch the post-game interviews with Peyton as well as his players. Very contentious. I don't blame them. This is, this is a level of embarrassment that you just don't see at the NFL level on a regular basis. Not since 1940, clearly. Fortunately for them, it's one loss counts the same in the standings as if they had lost by one, but man, this is the type of performance that, that can shake an organization, shake a team. I, they're going to need to lean on Peyton's expertise, Peyton's resume to, to get through this thing. Cause this is, this is the type of game I think that can beat you multiple times if you're not careful. And oh, by the way, the Broncos fall to zero and three. We know the stats about how hard it is to get to the playoffs as an zero and three team. You're sharing a division with Kansas City. L.A. Chargers got off the schneid on Sunday afternoon. Tough sledding for the Broncos. Historic for the Miami Dolphins. Looking like the hottest team in the NFL right now. But they weren't alone. They're division mates. Speaking of statement wins, the Buffalo Bills, on any other week, the Buffalo Bills might have the best win of the day. And it seems like an afterthought. Look at that. If, if you're watching, we've got the scores up behind me. The Bills beat the Washington Commanders 37 to 3. 37 to 3 and they barely got halfway to the Dolphins point total. I'll never get over it. Not quite the same caliber statement as Miami, but still very very impressive to go on the road, play a 2 and 0 team in a in the remnants of a tropical storm. Jacked up fan base, great atmosphere. Commanders hoping to put the league on notice and absolutely didn't happen. Bills ran them off the field 37 to three is the final score. But what you don't know if you didn't watch it is that the commanders didn't get their field goal until the last minute of the game, basically sadly kicking a field goal to avoid the shutout. Really, really impressive. This is the version of the bills team that you kind of pencil into the playoffs and, and think has a great shot to make the AFC championship game. There's so much to like about this team. Josh Allen's mobility in his arm makes him such a cheat code when he's on, when he's making good decisions. There were, there was some bad Josh in this game, but not nearly enough to outweigh the good. Seemed like he had a, a, a perfect scramble or a great throw every time the Bills got to third down, convert 60% of their third downs on the game. They scored on three of their first possession, three of their first four possessions in this game. They get the running game going. I think this was the best game of James Cook's James Cook's young career. Not not the gaudiest day, but 15 for 98. That's exactly what you want for a team like the Bills. You know, Josh Allen's probably going to give you 30 or 40 rushing yards. If you can find that type of balance, that that matters. It matters a lot. But it, it's the defense that's the story of this game 
for me. This this was as good as I think the Buffalo defense has looked in quite a while. They sacked Sam Howell nine times. And that was without Von Miller. Von Miller's still unavailable. He can come back and add to this pass rush, hopefully in a few weeks. That's scary to think about when you see Leonard Floyd getting two sacks. A.J. Epinesa getting a pick six to go along with a sack. I mean, nine sacks, my God. How about Terrell Bernard? We knew the Bills were going to need somebody to step up in place of Tremaine Edmonds after he left for Chicago in the spring. Terrell Bernard looks like the guy that's doing that. Really starting to put a fantastic resume together. Seven tackles in this game, two sacks, and a pick. Yes, I mean, Sam Howell is making just his fourth start in the NFL, but has looked pretty strong through two games of this season, dotted up the Denver defense last week. Now I can, I can hear you saying maybe, maybe that performance in Denver isn't as impressive after what we saw in Miami, but for a young player, Sam Howell's played mostly well and and the bills made him look every bit, a young inexperienced player, four picks in this game against that bill's secondary. In addition to the nine sacks, it's hilarious how quickly things can shift in the NFL. The Bills arguably had the most embarrassing loss of week one. They let it slip away against Zach Wilson. Game that they had no business losing. Everybody's down on the Bills. Two weeks later, they've outscored their last two opponents, 75 to 13. Defense looks ferocious. Josh Allen, other than one really abysmal second half against the Jets, looks like Josh Allen. If he doesn't melt down in that game, they are 3-0 while the Dolphins are 3-0. You talk, I mean, that would be exciting. When do they play? When do the Dolphins and Bills play? That's what I want to know. Not not for quite, no. Oh, wait. I'm ad-libbing. That's next week. I didn't even know that when I asked that question. Oh. Beyond, Beyond excited. The two best performances of the week, and of course, we get a division matchup to cap this thing all off. Absolutely cannot wait. Do I have to finish doing this show? Can we just skip ahead to previewing Bill's Dolphins? No? Okay. Just let it be known. Two of the best performances of the week. Two teams in the AFC heading on a collision course. I didn't know that game was happening next week until right this moment, and I am so excited. But before we get too carried away, with the winners, some awfully disappointing performances in this week three as well. And we'll carry that on with the next item on the Sunday Six, which I'm just going to call, oh, Cowboys. Shame on me for thinking we wouldn't have anything to talk about with the Dallas Cowboys. A beatdown in the desert happened on Sunday. It just wasn't the way anybody foresaw the Arizona Cardinals come out of nowhere, not just to shock the Cowboys, but again, to, to beat them down. I caught up with our guys, Joe Davis and Moose Johnston, who were on the call in Arizona to, to help me make sense of this one because I needed it. All right, Dave. So the Cardinals get an upset win over the Cowboys today by two scores. And the Cowboys coming into the game 2-0, but with a bunch of injuries. What do you think we saw today? Did we see those injuries stack up and get them, or did they look past the Cardinals at all? I don't think either one of those. I'm, I'm going to say that anybody on that Dallas team that says that the injuries contributed this loss, you better you better change your mind and, and, and your way of thinking right away. Uh, I don't think they look past Arizona. I think if you watch Arizona yeah. on film, you know they're a dangerous team. I think what came out today was they came out and didn't play good football. 13 penalties for 107 yards, two for five in the red zone. That's been a problem with them for the last couple of weeks. Uh, there's an opportunity for them to win the game. They have... Uh, an interception on the last possession right. of the red zone. They lose it on downs, the one prior to that. So they did not play a good football game today. They were beaten by the Arizona Cardinals, plain and simple. Yeah, all right. So you got a game not very well played, but the Cowboys Cardinals played really well. And I think we've seen through three weeks are a lot better than anybody was thinking coming into the season, Dave. Like I said at the top, shame on me. I went into this weekend not wondering or not thinking we would have something to talk about with the Cowboys because they 12 and a half point favorite against the Arizona Cardinals. Should have seen this coming as somebody who's been around the Cowboys for a very long time. Absolutely should have seen this coming. I don't think it's because Trayvon Diggs got injured on Thursday. I, I don't think it's, it's about injuries on the offensive line. Yes, the Cowboys were without three different starters. Tyron Smith, Tyler Biotish, and Zach Martin all sit out of this game. I just think it's always something with the Dallas Cowboys, whether you want to say they were feeling themselves too much, reading their headlines too much. But at the end of the day, I still think this Arizona Cardinals team 
is one of the more talent-poor rosters in the NFL. It's a team that the Cowboys should beat, we, even with all of those problems. And they didn't just lose to the Cardinals. They got thoroughly dominated. Cardinals ran for 222 yards in this game. They had 400 yards of offense. Dallas defense, which we've spent the last two weeks praising to no end. I said on this very show a few days ago, maybe you won't be truly special without Trayvon Diggs, but you'll still be really good. They look completely hopeless in this game. Couldn't get a stop in the first half. And even by the time they started slowing down Josh Dobbs and the Arizona offense in the second half, it was way too late gashed on the ground. I I'm, I'm absolutely at a loss for how you give up. What's what's the stat tally? Seven and a half yards per carry on the ground. We knew the Dallas run defense wasn't incredible, but this is something else entirely. Offense, incredibly forgettable day as well. I do I do put this loss more on the defense. Again, I firmly believe that Dallas has or maybe had, I guess we'll see, the type of defense that can carry them in the vast majority of their games. 28 points on the ground and 400 yards to one of the easiest teams left on their schedule is not going to cut it. But some similar problems arise for the Dallas offense as well. They go one of five in the red zone. The explosive passing game was not there all day. Aside from a deep shot to Michael Gallup and another long gainer to CeeDee Lamb, Cowboys had to work for every single thing they got, dinking and dunking down the field. The explosive element of this offense we thought we were going to see with Brandon Cooks just hasn't been there. I know Brandon Cooks missed week two with a knee injury, but he was out there this week, and you just don't see an explosive big play type of offense. If Tony Pollard can't break it off himself, it's not coming from the passing game. And of course, the highlight that'll get shown and shown and shown again on TV this week as we have our weekly debate about how good or bad Dak Prescott is. He throws an interception in the end zone that kills off any chance of a comeback. Cowboys could have scored to cut the lead to three or four points. Maybe you have a shot at a miracle win like the Giants had in Arizona last week, but it just doesn't materialize. 16 points, one of five in the red zone, and I've already bemoaned the defensive performance. Did I mention the penalties? Did I mention how absolutely undisciplined this team looked? 13 penalties for 107 yards. I believe 10 of those were in the first half alone. I don't know if that's an NFL record, but my God, was it tedious to watch. And that's how you blow a game as a 12 and a half point favorite. Even up until the final four or five minutes, it looked like the Cowboys had enough juice in the tank to drag this thing over the finish line. Again, the way the New York Giants did just last week. Cardinals get the job done. Can't say enough about them. I, I just spent five minutes bemoaning the Cowboys, blaming the Cowboys, and they deserve it. They absolutely deserve it. This was an atrocious performance in all three aspects. Even special teams had a long punt return called back by a flag. But man, through three weeks, the Cardinals might be one and two. They've absolutely played well enough to be two and one. Josh Dobbs looks like a guy. 120 quarterback rating, 17 of 21 for 189 yards. Again, they ran for 222 yards as a team. They were moving up and down the field in the first half. They jumped all over the Cowboys 15 to three before it even felt like the game had started. Again, maybe they'll deny it. Maybe they'll downplay it, but it sure felt like the Cowboys have spent the last two weeks listening to everybody tell them how amazing they are. Meanwhile, the Arizona Cardinals don't seem to be aware that everyone thinks they're tanking. They have been a nightmare for all three teams that they've played. They finally get on the board with a win against the best team that they've played this year. I can't say enough about it. And, and to close the door on them, look, like I said, the Cowboys, they made a rally. They actually, they get down on the goal line five times in this game. Got to work on that red zone offense if you're the Cowboys, but the Cowboys cut it to 21-16 again. The whole second half, the defense is playing better. It feels like the Cowboys are, are switching the momentum. The more talented team is finally winning out, and it's just a matter of when they pull ahead. And what do the Cardinals do? They get the ball with nine and a half minutes to play in the fourth. First play, 69-yard gain. Second play, five-yard gain up the middle to Zach Ertz, and then they punch it in the end zone. They only need four plays to go 76 yards and really – put their foot down on the Cowboys throats. Can't say enough about that from a team that's lacking for, for leaders in a lot of key spots. Yeah. You have Zach Ertz, but again, Josh Dobbs, his first real shot as a starter hanging 28 points on this defense, only getting sacked twice. I can't say enough about it. I think that's the theme of this thing is 
Cowboys forgot that you have to actually show up and play to win in this league. And the Arizona Cardinals are completely oblivious to how many people have written them off coming into this season. It's very impressive performance by them. Shouts out to Jonathan Gannon. I don't think anybody's said anything nice about the guy since the Eagles lost the Super Bowl back in February, but he's got his team ready to play. I don't know how good their record's going to be, but they look like a team that's going to be a pain in the butt for every single team that they play. They were more than that for the Cowboys. They beat the crap out of them, and it was incredibly shocking, incredibly impressive, impressive, and now we see where the Cowboys go from here. I still, I don't think we're changing our opinions about what the Cardinals are, but this is the type of performance that can change your opinion about what happens with the Cowboys. The schedule doesn't get any easier over the next three weeks. We're going to learn a lot about their resolve as they move forward and try to shake this one off. Cowboys were the biggest favorite to lose on Sunday, but they were not the only one. Item number four on the Sunday's six. Upsets galore, at least a couple of them in the AFC South. Let's get it started with the Houston Texans spanking the Jacksonville Jaguars 37 to 17. I don't love the word upset in a game like this because to me, that implies that the scrappy underdog caught a few breaks and didn't back down and took down Goliath. And that's not what this was. Vegas might have favored the Jags by eight or nine, but. Houston kicked their ass basically from beginning to end. Texans scored a touchdown on their second possession of this game. And really for the rest of the way, it felt like Houston was in control. Yes, the Jags did score to cut it to 27 to 17 late. The Texans almost immediately respond with a 68 yard strike to put things away for good. I see you CJ Stroud. Number two overall pick. He's been playing like it this entire season, but he finally gets in the win column. His first career win, head coach D'Amico Ryan's first win. Absolutely phenomenal. 20 of 30, 282, two touchdowns. Stroud has now thrown 121 passes in the NFL without an interception. That is the best streak to start a career ever. Of course, it's going to end eventually, but to get this type of play, from your rookie right off the bat on a team that A, is still rebuilding, and B, has injuries all over the place. Incredibly, incredibly impressive. Texas, Texans offensive line, like I just mentioned, pretty beat up going into this game. The Jags absolutely could not put pressure on them. C.J. Stroud diced him up. He did that with a lot of help from his guy, Tank Dell, the Houston native game changing speed five catches for 145. It was his 68 yard strike that put this thing away Two third round picks Devon a chain and tank Dell really breaking out in week three. You love to see it not to let Trevor Lawrence off the hook. Although he did get outplayed by a rookie in his third year, my preseason pick to win the MVP award, not loving that decision right now, but plenty of season left, but not to let not to let Trevor off the hook, but my God, can the Jags catch the ball? Like, can we can we help our quarterback out? Drops all over the place. Him and Calvin Ridley. It looked like Calvin Ridley was about to set the league on fire in week one, and it's just been disappointing ever since. Just can't get on the same page. Drop passes. Not Lawrence not hitting Ridley in stride as often as he could. Evan Ingram has a drop in this game as well. The Jags get to 400 yards of offense on the day, but uh, please do not mistake that for a pretty or productive way day at the office. Not, not with the amount of talent that this offense has. And it would be very unfair not to point out that the Jags allowed a kickoff return touchdown that helped the Texans put this thing away. And no, it did not come from the kick returner. It came from fullback Andrew Beck, the H back the personal protector on the kick team, the guy that's supposed to block for the kick returner. Go, go look this up. No disrespect to Andrew Beck, but a guy that runs like that should not be returning a kick full field, by the way, like from his own 15 to the end zone shouldn't happen in the NFL. This is the type of analysis you can count on from me. I went and looked it up. Andrew Beck undrafted player out of the university of Texas in 2019, when he was coming out as a prospect at Texas's pro day, he was clocked at a four, six, three in the 40 yard dash, 40 yard dash, a very, very overrated stat in football, but not when it comes to returning a kick and a four, six, three guy 
shouldn't run the length of the field against your kick team for a touchdown. Just shouldn't happen. Embarrassing for the Jags. Embarrassing play. Embarrassing loss. I wouldn't blame the NFL if they gave the Jags an extra loss for letting Andrew Beck return that kick for a touchdown, but not to take any shine away from CJ Stroud and D'Amico Ryans, a really, really impressive win. Did I mention Will Anderson got in on the act two, blocked a field goal earlier in this game, just a, a thorough, impressive performance. The Cardinals and the Texans, both two teams that we've been very down on and through three weeks, they each have a win now and they've each played Fairly good football through the first three weeks. Inspiring stuff. Moving up north, but staying in the AFC South. The Indianapolis Colts go back to their old hometown of Baltimore. You know Baltimore fans. As if it's not bad enough to lose and to lose in overtime. But to lose to the team that left town back in the 80s. That's a bummer. What if I told you that a kicker in a Ravens game would make four different field goals from 50 plus yards. And it was not Justin Tucker. My mind's blown too. Matt Gay. Give him the AFC special teams player of the week award right now. He scored 16 of Indy's 22 points in overtime, including the walk-off. Not a, not a pretty day. Again, this was another game that was played in the remnants of tropical storm Ophelia. Gardner Minshew gets sacked five times. He steps out of the back of the end zone in crunch time, a la Dan Orlovsky, but he gets the win. He gets the win. I, I can hear Ravens fans, and, and I, don't, I don't blame them. There's definitely going to be some talk, some backlash, some hand-wringing about officiating with this game. Looked like Baltimore drew pass interference on Zay Flowers in overtime. Could have set Tucker up for a game winner. Flag doesn't come out. There was also a missed face mask in regulation. Flag doesn't come out. Very, very tough break for the Baltimore Ravens. I appreciate Lamar Jackson's diplomatic answer. Somebody asked him about that in the post game. He, he kind of grinned and, and laughed for a few seconds and pointed out that the Ravens had other opportunities to win this game. They absolutely did. Not good enough execution in the second half of this game. Not enough sustained drives. But I, I, I don't blame you if you're frustrated by, by the way that this one finished. But an incredibly resilient performance. Four field goals from 50-plus yards. Taking it down in overtime. Not the prettiest game you're ever going to see. But Shane Steichen. Again, young, young coaches, young teams getting off to a very impressive start. And it continues with a big win for Indianapolis. Three big home games in the NFC North. We thought the whole division deserved a spot on the Sunday six unique finishes in all three games. No better place to start than Lambeau field green Bay Packers eke out an 18 to 17 win over the new Orleans saints Packers had 134 yards of offense with 14 minutes to play in this game. And then over their next three drives, they pile up 206 yards and all 18 of their points kneel out the clock on their final possession for one of the more improbable victories of the season so far. I caught up with our own NFL on Fox broadcasters, Kenny Albert and Jonathan Vilma to help me figure out how it happened. All right, guys, with 15 minutes to play in this game, nothing doing for Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers. Then all of a sudden, it's 18 points. It's, a, it's an unexpected Packers win. Take me through it. What changed for Jordan Love here down the stretch of this game? Well, you're right. What a comeback by the Green Bay Packers down 17 in the fourth quarter. They score 18 in Jordan Love's first start here at Lambeau in the regular season. Yeah, the biggest thing that changed for the Packers offense was one, stop committing those self-inflicting penalties. Two, Jordan Love was able to connect on the outside 17 to 18 yards deep. That's always the weakness of a defense that loves to play man. Once they finally got into a rhythm, they were able to now take that, capitalize on it once they got down into the red zone. Another big part of the story, the injury suffered by Derek Carr. Saints were leading 17-0, and the Orleans had trouble moving the football in the second half. Really struggled all day long, especially in the run game. And then all of a sudden you see that when they needed it, they couldn't get it done anymore. They were trying to force the ball to Mike Thomas, try to force the ball to Olave. But without a run game, a, six, uh, a really sustainable run game, you're not going to get a lot of product productivity. A game they'll remember here in Green Bay for a long time. 18 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to defeat the Saints. And the Packers win their 11th consecutive home opener. Never a dull one in the NFL. Guys, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.
goofy fun day at Lambeau Field. Packers win their 11th straight home opener. Love this stat from Rob Domovsky. Second time in Green Bay history, the Packers have won a game when entering the fourth quarter down by 17 or more points. So, yes, rallying from a three-score deficit in one quarter is a very, very rare thing to do. You've got to be encouraged by Jordan Love's resilience. This, I mean, this was an ugly, ugly outing for the Packers. Really felt like a coming back to reality moment for a young quarterback and a young team. Love's fourth start through an ugly interception. Saints defense had the clamps on this offense. No points in the first three quarters. Credit to the Packers defense. I mean, for, for a huge chunk of this game, it looked like it would qualify as a beatdown. I mean, winning by three possessions is a lot in the NFL. But the Packers defense did just enough to keep this thing in striking distance. Derek Carr exits the game with a shoulder injury in the second half. We'll get to that in a minute. But from there on out, they didn't allow Jameis Winston and the Saints offense to do much of anything. And keep in mind, seven of the Saints' 17 points came from a Rashid Shahid punt return. So the Saints offense, all things considered, continuing to struggle. Offensive line gives up three more sacks. That's 11 in three games. Whether it's Derek Carr, Jameis Winston, or whoever, clearly that's not going to win you games because it's going to get your quarterback hurt. Carr leaves this game. We'll see what that, we'll see where that goes. They're they're calling it a shoulder injury. They're saying it's it it's not terribly terribly severe. It doesn't sound like Carr is going to be out for the season, but he could miss time. Saints only had one possession that went further than twenty yards after Jameis Winston entered this game. So yes, credit to the Packers defense for keeping it close, and again credit to Jordan Love and the Packers offense for finding plays that worked in crunch time. I had to laugh. They did. They had a possession where they got most of the way down the field with defensive pass interference penalties. But hey, that works too. We're, draw those flags. Do what you can, especially in a game like this. I thought it was so so impressive from a guy with so few starts with such little NFL experience. Top of that, remember how the Packers game ended last week? They were up two possessions themselves in Atlanta. Completely fell apart. So you got to sit here and wonder how a young team processes that, how you learn how to win in crunch time. Typically, you think this is the type of thing that takes a whole season or maybe even multiple years to figure out. The Packers do it in one week from total collapse to to a total rally in the span of seven days. That's a lot of fun. Saints had a walk-off field goal attempt from Blake Groupie, the first-year kicker, misses from 46 yards with a minute to play. A weird one. Saints offense, whether it's with Derek Carr or Jameis Winston, you got to be wondering what the hell you can do to, to get this thing back on track. It has not looked pretty in any of these three games. They scored, what, 20 against the Panthers, 16 against the Titans, and now 17 against the Packers. Their defense is very, very good, but less than 20 points is going to wind up getting you into a lot of frustrating games and probably a lot of losses. Not a win, not a game that they're going to feel good about. They're going to feel like this is a missed opportunity. And honestly it was, but that's not Jordan loves problem. That's a hell of a feather in the cap of a young developing quarterback and an impressive way to close things out. Let's head over to Minneapolis, just a couple hours West in the same division. We knew chargers Vikings was going to be insane and heartbreaking and completely devoid of logic or reason. And somehow it still was more than I could have expected. I mean, the, the finish to this game, stupid, honestly, the, the final sequence is so fitting of these two chaotic teams. Let me summarize. If you didn't see it, chargers are clinging to a 28, 24 lead. Brandon Staley elects to go for it on fourth and one from his own 24 yard line with less than two minutes to play. So Staley so aggressive in his first season with the chargers dials it back because he's so heavily criticized and then maybe the most gutsy call of his career. And he doesn't get it turns the ball over on downs with less than two minutes to play. The Vikings take over. I mean, I can't even imagine the discourse if this hadn't have worked out for Brandon Staley, but somehow it does the chargers defense, really the Vikings offense bails this game out. The chargers get the win 28, 24 
I got into more detail about how exactly the Vikings bailed the Chargers out with Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez. Check it out. All right, guys, we, we knew this was going to be a crazy game, but maybe an even more insane ending than we thought. What, what's more incredible, Brandon Staley's decision to go for it on that fourth down on his own 24 or that the Chargers defense bailed him out? Uh, that might be the most surprising thing considering the Chargers came into this game as the worst defense in the National Football League. But I don't know if the Chargers defense bailed them out as much as the Vikings operation at the end of the game market just wasn't very smooth. Well, both of them, you know, you think you go for it on that fourth down. Well, why not pin them as deep as you can, force them to go the length of the field with no timeouts, and then finally, okay, fine, you don't get it, but the defense bowed up at the right time. That was just a chaotic ending. I, I was sure that Kirk Cousins was going to go up to the line of scrimmage, spike the ball, and give them a potential three more plays. Instead, they went for it on one of them without stopping the clock. I think they snapped it with like 14 to 18 seconds, so there was only going to be one more play after that, maybe two after. So just a little uncharacteristic with the mechanics there at the end of the game. Chaotic ending, but an ending nonetheless, and Chargers moved to one and two. Vikings 0-3. We know what it means for the Chargers to get this win. We know the stats about 0-3 and, and how bad that is. So good on them for getting the road win. On the other side, I don't know if there's a team that's more agonizingly close than the Vikings that's sitting at 0-3. Where, where do you think a team that, yeah. I mean, clearly they're close, but 0-3 is 0-3. Where do you think they go from here? Yeah, it's going to be a tough road. The good news for the Vikings is it's a division that you can get back into relatively easily, I think. You've seen fits and starts for everybody in their division, Mark, and 0-3 may not be the death knell it usually is if you can get back going in your division. Well, absolutely, and now the difference. We talked about this in the in the pregame hit, right? 1-2 versus 0-3. 0-3, you don't start to doubt everything, but you start to question a little bit. You start to look around the room, look around the division, like, oh, what's their record going to be? Okay, what's a wild card going to look like? How many wins do we have to hit? You start thinking a little too much. And so hopefully they can do their best to block out the noise. They have the players. They have the coaching to get back into this thing. It's just when are they going to right the ship? When are they going to do it? And it has to start next week. It's the fumbles. It's the turnovers. It's the late-game mechanics in two-minute they got to clean those things up if they want to be competitive. And we saw them do that last year, right? With all those close one-score games, last-second throws, last-second comebacks. They got the ability. It's a matter of execution. Yeah, but 11-0 in those one-score games last year and 0-3 this year in those one-score games. Absolutely. A, a memorable one in Minneapolis. Guys, thanks as always for the time. Safe travels. Vikings head coach Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins both said after the game that the reason for the frantic play call without – spiking the ball or stopping the clock was because the crowd was so loud they couldn't hear anything and Kirk Cousins had to wind up calling his own play I'm being an armchair quarterback a Monday morning quarterback and I'm sorry about that but Kirk if if you have enough autonomy in the offense to call your own play you also have enough autonomy to just spike the ball and 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 reassess my man Seems like the, the, the moment got away from both of these teams. I think that's the easiest way to summarize this is 0-3 was hanging in the air. And I think when, when that much pressure is on you, I think both of these teams kind of withered from the moment and the Chargers just happened to capitalize last, or I guess the Vikings made the last mistake. But man, I, I said it earlier, I don't, really think you can adequately portray how wild the conversation would be if Brandon Staley had lost this game after turning it over on downs on his own, on his own 24 yard line. I'm not saying he would have gotten fired, but I'm saying it would have been a very toxic conversation about his decision-making process and where the chargers are going as a franchise. Instead, they stave off pseudo elimination from the playoffs. One and two sounds a hell of a lot better than 0-3. Justin Herbert, very quietly, the, the quietest 400-yard game you'll ever see. 40 of 47, completing 80% of his passes for 405 yards, still hasn't turned the ball over. If the Chargers handle the end of a couple games a little bit better, he could be in that MVP conversation or front-running the MVP conversation instead of Tua Tungavailoa. Instead... He is an afterthought at the tail end of another absolutely chaotic Chargers game. We'll see if the Vikings can become part of the 2% of 0-3 teams that have made the playoffs. Hasn't happened since the Texans did it in 2018. I'm telling you right now, and 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick on Kirk Cousins too much for throwing a pick. I mean, you're trying to win the game there. I do think he should have spiked the ball, but nine turnovers. Nine turnovers in three games, you're absolutely not climbing out of that hole with that. That's step number one. In addition to an end zone pick, the Vikings also turned the ball over on the Chargers 26-yard line earlier in the game. That's the brutal thing is a lot of these turnovers have come near the opposing goal line. This team is agonizingly close to being 3-0, and and instead they're 0-3 and feeling like a mathematical long shot to make the playoffs. We'll see if they can dig out of it. You're going to hear this a million times, Vikings fans, and I'm sorry, but 11-0 in one-possession games last year, now 0-3 in one-possession games in 2023. Tough pill to swallow. Not so much drama in Detroit, but a very impressive game. Maybe could have been a statement game in its own right, just a very... Nice day from the Detroit Lions defense in a 20 to six win against the Atlanta Falcons. So much concern about the Lions defense coming into this. So many injuries. The safeties are beat up. Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Getting ready to take on spring. Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Kirby Joseph, and they shut down the Falcons, shorthanded or not. They absolutely took it to this vaunted Atlanta run game. The Falcons came into Ford Field averaging 183 rushing yards over their first two games, five yards per carry against the Panthers and the Packers. Lions held them to 44 yards on the day, two and a half yards per carry. They did better than cut their yards per carry in half. And without that run game going with Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier bottled up, this is what worries me about the Falcons. If a team can stop your running game, I don't really like this offense at all. Like the running game needs to be dominant for this offense to be good. You need to have the threat of four and five yards per carry. You need to have linebackers biting on every single play fake that happens because dropping back and throwing ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen for the Falcons. Desmond Ritter has yet to look impressive doing it through three games. He didn't really look great doing it last year either. Falcons, as good as they are at blocking the run game, not wonderful in pass protection if the seven sacks against the Lions are any indicator. Remember, we talked with Adam Amin, who had the call of this game. Well, we talked about the Detroit defense today, right? They came in with a lot of criticism over the last couple of weeks to start their season, not getting enough of a pass rush. They're dealing with multiple injuries on their back end. No C.J. Gardner-Johnson, no Kirby Joseph today, two key safeties. They're going up against Bajan Robinson in this Atlanta rushing attack, one of the best in the league the last two years. They dominated him today. There's no question about it. I thought they did a great job of bringing pressure on early downs, stopping the run, putting Atlanta in third down and long situations, and then tied the back end together with the front end. Seven sacks by six different players today. That is pressure. That is getting after the front of the Atlanta Falcons, stopping the run. It all came together today for Detroit. And again, they had to do it without multiple pieces. They had to do it on the offensive end today as well. They had to patchwork their offensive sure. line. They were missing two key guys and then had injuries during the game. Give me a sense of the offense and what you like, too. I thought, you know, number one, like you said, patchworking that offensive line together. They still ran the the ball late in the game. Gibbs was tremendous, but I love Laporta, the tight end. I love what they did on the offensive side of the ball, moving the chains and making just enough big plays to get a big-time victory against Atlanta. They got a game coming up against Green Bay at Lambeau on the road on a short week on a Thursday night. This has been a much maligned defense the last couple of years under Aaron Glenn. What can they do to try to push this forward and stay and maintain what they've been doing? Well, I think you're going to get a lot of energy based on what you did, the rotation you played with up front, and the pressure consistently you did. And then you talk about stopping the run. When you stop the run, you give yourself opportunity to rush the passer. You earn the right to rush the passer. And if they can do that and continue to do that, good things are going to happen for this defense in Detroit. Detroit is off to a 2-1 and one start. They're trying to make the playoffs for the first time since 2016 and seek that elusive playoff win. Haven't had one since 1991, Dave. Lions had one sack in two games. They get seven in game three. 
just to give you an idea of how successful they were once they got a lead and could just tee off and let Aiden Hutchinson and their pass rushers go. Even when Desmond Ritter had time, the downfield passing game just wasn't there. At the risk of sounding like I'm writing off the Falcons, they 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 can't be one-dimensional. The running game has to be the center of everything they do, and if it's not clicking, I just don't see it working for the Falcons very often this season. Detroit's offense typically gets the headlines. Didn't need to do anything special in this game, but I do want to shout out Sam Laporta. It's not normal for rookie tight ends to make a huge impact, or if they do, they're typically top 10 picks like Atlanta's Kyle Pitts a couple years ago, a second round rookie tight end acclimating this well to the NFL is not normal, but here's Sam Laporta, a catches for 84 yards and a laughably wide open touchdown that kind of put the lions in control of this thing in the second quarter off to an incredibly impressive start again at a position where rookies typically require time to make a, a big impact. Honestly, this lion's entire rookie class, like we talk so much about Jameer Gibbs and whether that was the right idea and Gibbs had a solid enough game, but Sam Laporta and the other second round pick shout out to Brian branch. The lion's rookie nickelback was all over the damn place. Made 11 tackles, three tackles for loss, two pass breakups, Huge part of filling those run fits and keeping the Falcons running backs from getting to the second and third level. This rookie class, Jack Campbell, Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta, Brian Branch, like these four guys off to an incredibly impressive start. And the Lions now two and one with a very, very impressive win against Atlanta. That brings us to item number six in the Sunday six. We'll just call it everything else. Plenty left to get to on an incredibly full week three Sunday. Let's start off with Sunday night football. Pittsburgh Steelers go to Las Vegas and get a win over the Raiders. 23 to 18. Weird, maybe even a wimpy sequence from Josh McDaniels here at the end of the loss of the Steelers. Vegas is down 23 to 15 with two minutes and 22 seconds to play ball on the Pittsburgh eight yard line. Now do some math 23 to 15. It's an eight point margin. That's a touchdown and a two point conversion to tie McDaniels opts to kick a field goal and play defense. Sounds okay in theory because Vegas had all of its timeouts and the two minute warning, but it just, it creates such a thin margin for error. You've got to play this perfectly. Lo and behold, the Raiders do not Steelers pick up a third down fairly easily and they do wind up punting, but it allows them to kill the clock to the point that the Raiders get the ball back with like 12 seconds to play. Just didn't make a ton of sense. You would think going for the touchdown with two minutes and 22 seconds to play is the right call. McDaniels told reporters afterward that the Raiders needed two possessions in the game and that's why he wanted the field goal. I guess that's true. You need two possessions to win. But shouldn't you be thinking about the tie if you're down by eight with two and a half minutes? Like, I think worrying about winning is putting the cart before the horse when you're already down eight. I'm pretty sure your top priority should be the tie. Therefore, scoring a touchdown should be the call. It just, like I said, theoretically could have been possible. I don't think the Raiders defense is good enough to do that. And, and it played out exactly how I thought it might. Steelers improved to two and one after starting with an ugly, ugly loss to San Francisco. They bounced back with consecutive wins. I'm not sure I'd call this an inspiring performance from Pittsburgh offense, but it was a heck of a lot better than what we saw against San Francisco and Cleveland and their defense continues to do its thing. Sapped, sacked Jimmy Garoppolo four times, picked him off three times. I think this defense is going to keep them in most of their games although some, some improvement from this offense would go a long way. Elsewhere, New England 15, New York Jets 10. A little bit closer than I thought. You know, I, I thought New England probably wins this game by 10 points or so. Patriots had to sweat out two Jets possessions in the final two minutes. I'm sure they didn't love that, but they were able to put the clamps on Zach Wilson for the vast majority of this day. Happy as they are to get the win, like I said, they've got to be frustrated to outgain the Jets 371 to 171, and you're still sweating it out inside the two minutes. This should be a game where 
you're running the ball straight ahead. Maybe you even got some guys in ball caps at the end of this thing. Zach Wilson has now played three straight games without throwing for 200 yards. Remember, he came in on the first drive against Buffalo in week one. So basically three starts, not even reaching 200 yards as a passer. That win against the Bills, whoo, it is huge. Because if the Jets are 0-3 in this situation, I think you're having a five-alarm fire in that building right now trying to figure out what to do about quarterback. They've got a little more time because 1-2 feels so incredibly better than 0-3. But you're just not going to win a lot of games averaging 12 points per game. And guess who the Jets have on Sunday Night Football next week? The Kansas City Chiefs. If they don't find a way to win that game or if Zach Wilson doesn't at least play substantially better, I think the talk about replacing him at quarterback is going to get as loud as it ever has an ugly, forgettable, rainy day in New York. But the New England Patriots get the win, improved to one and two. Cleveland Browns with a low key, really impressive game. And before you write off the Titans, I mean, beating anybody 20 to seven to 27 to three in the NFL is impressive, but consider what a pain the Titans have been through the first two weeks. They beat the chargers. They pushed the saints to the very last play of the game. Cleveland just wiped them out. Defense was exactly as impressive as I thought it would be. They continue to be incredible run. Defense is phenomenal defensive front pressure, stout physical and Deshaun Watson played his best game as a Brown. I think that's fair to say. It's not a huge sample size, and it goes to show how bad the offense has been since he took over. But 82% for 289 yards. Watson and Amari Cooper had a really solid day, made a lot of plays against Tennessee's secondary. Tennessee, this is still a good defense. They, they took Cleveland's run game away. Not a very impressive day in their first game without Nick Chubb. But Watson and Cooper lifted the passing game. Like I said, you win by 24 in the NFL against a Mike Vrabel coach team. I think you should feel pretty good about that. We touched on the Bears a little bit talking about the Chiefs, but I'd say it's probably fair to just revisit what a nasty, nasty situation the Bears find themselves in. We, we Again, we spent the week going over how bad it was in Chicago leading up to this game, and it looked somehow even worse the Bears, 203 yards of offense, a hundred of it came on the final two drives when the Chiefs led by 40 points. If it weren't for Zach Wilson, I think Justin Fields would be struggling the worst out of any quarterback in the NFL. You could even argue that it is the worst because at least Zach Wilson helped the Jets find a way to beat the Buffalo Bills. The Bears sitting at 0-3, and man, I don't, I don't care who they play. It's hard to imagine this team winning a game right now or at the very least stringing them together i don't envy them trying to find a way out of this ditch their defensive coordinator just resigned amid strange circumstances last week the offense remains a mess this doesn't look like a team that's gonna have answers to a lot of it and i know it's only week three now heading into week four but i'm starting to wonder if the Chicago Bears are headed for consecutive number one overall picks, just a lot, a lot of work to do for Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. Happier note, just shout out Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle. Fantastic performance in a loss up in Seattle. Yes, they did lose by 10 points, but I'm not going to praise the Seattle Seahawks too, too much for getting a 37-27 win against Carolina. This Carolina offense has looked toothless through the first two weeks, but Andy Dalton went up there and proved whatever jokes you want to make. He can still sling the rock 361 yards and two touchdowns. Didn't get a lot of help from his run game. So he had to do a lot of this on his own and he made the Seahawks sweat it out again. It's a loss. The Panthers fall to 0 and three, not feeling really great about their prospects. We'll see when Bryce Young comes back, but I thought that was an inspired performance. Seahawks do get the win. They avoid another embarrassing performance at home. Two and one up in Seattle, but I just, I, I wanted to say something nice about Andy Dalton. Cause I just don't feel like people are doing that very often anymore. Good on you, Andy wrapping this up with one last bit of pop culture. It's not Taylor Swift, but usher that gets announced as the super bowl 58 halftime show in Las Vegas. 
I'm cool with it, but he better bring the features out. Like Lil John and Ludacris better be part of this thing or we riot. That's our show for Monday. We will be back very soon. It's another Monday night doubleheader. Cincinnati Bengals hosting the Los Angeles Rams. We'll see if Joe Burrow plays. We've also got the Philadelphia Eagles going down to Tampa Bay. It's a jam-packed night. We will be here to take you through all of it. But that does it for right now. Please go find us on, on the socials, wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend. Tell a family member. Go find us on YouTube. Tell a Swifty about us. Whatever you see fit, we appreciate it. Stay tuned. We do have some bonus content, another episode of Ask Glazer coming up after this. But that does it for now. Thank you all so much. This was a blast. I'll catch you next time. Another week. That means it's time for another edition of Ask Glazer. Joined by who else? The segment's named after him. NFL on Fox. Insider Jay Glazer. We, good to see you again, we man. We got to do something about this dress code thing that we got here, though. You're, you you dress it up. Two a, totally different things, right? I mean, I'm being told dress up like it's a bar mitzvah or a wedding. You're being told like dress up like it's Glazer on a Tuesday night. That's the podcast yeah. first national TV schism right there. <laughs> I feel like you know. If I, I, I'll, I'll you wear it well. Thank you I very much. I look great you, in my Michael Strahan collection suit. You see that? The plug to go with the inside information. Gotta we love it. Get the dudes out. Gotta help them out. I'll dress. I'll dress it up. I'll, I'll get a tie. I gotta dig a tie out That's of my closet. That's what was dressed up. <laughs> for me, for me, it is. <laughs> All right. Quarterback theme yeah. to ask Glazer uh, this week. We just saw the New York Jets fall again. Mm -hmm. Not not a pretty watch on offense, and so I understand the question from Sports Jive. He says, are the Jets really going to stick with Zach Wilson? I'm dying to know as well. Look, I reported before the game that that was the plan, that they wanted to stick with Zach Wilson, and that was it all along. They also realized, look, without Aaron Rodgers there, you know, it, it's a lot harder without for Zach Wilson. And look, I'm, you know, as we're doing this right now, I know Robert Sala is going to meet with the media right now, but mm -hmm. this was the plan going into the game. Where they wanted a veteran quarterback later on there, still sticking with Zach Wilson, but after a game like today, Today. They're going to, I'm sure, have to go back and, and look and go, man, is this really going to be what we do and who we stick with? And, you know, the big thing with Zach was confidence last year. And I think he, he lost it last year. Had a lot of it with Aaron Rodgers around this year, but with Aaron not there the last couple weeks, confidence probably waning there. The offensive line is banged up also. I, you know, I, again, I think they have to go back and, and really take a hard look at what they're going to do now moving forward. But I do know going into the game, yeah. that was their intention. Which, it, right. and it sounds great. I do wonder, you know, losses have yeah. a way of changing your opinion about what you need to do. I'm fascinated right. to see how that moves forward. Question from Sunita, Sunita Convos. She says, another quarterback in turmoil. Chicago Bears taking right. on the Kansas City Chiefs this week. What do you see as the long-term outlook here? And, and how, I mean, we know it hasn't looked good in Chicago, right. but how worried should Bears fans be about the, the Bears' long-term commitment to Justin Fields? Well, here's the thing. J Justin Fields has to earn the long-term commitment, right? The current regime was the one who drafted him, so he has to earn it from them. Last year, he showed he could do a lot with his legs. I think this offseason, they really did a lot of work to hopefully start, you know, adding a lot of that passing game. That hasn't happened yet. And this is obviously, you know, being filmed before they're, they're playing the Chiefs. Um, but they were hoping that he would start pulling it down a lot faster and start running, start using more of that dual threat as well. As they get that dual threat back, then they could start expanding on the passing game. But it's also, remember, they have two number one picks, yeah. or first-round picks for next year's draft, so they have the ammo if he's not the answer to get somebody else. Absolutely. Poles and Matt Eberflus mm -hmm. did not draft Justin Fields, so that's something to watch. Love this question from Joni Hagler. I'm curious about it, too. Cowboys lose Trayvon Diggs going into this week. We've already seen several high-profile injuries. Why do you think September has been so bad for, for early season injuries, for season-ending injuries in the first few weeks of the season? It's, it's like this every year. It's not just this year. It's every year. Because you're kind of coming out of training camps there that you know, you're, 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 it's like you're going from sparring to full contact fights all of a sudden constantly. And it's just going to happen. It's a violent sport. Every year, people, we, every time we've done this Ask Glazer for the last couple of years, somebody's asked this the question. same question, <laughs> why are there so many injuries here in September? It happens every September. Love this one. Looking ahead again, I said it was a quarterback theme segment. Joe Burrow, mm -hmm. iffy for Monday Night Football against the Rams. In or out, do you have what's the latest on yeah. where he stands? So earlier in the week, even his teammates didn't think he was going to play. He's tough, man. Joe is tough. And so yesterday, he took some scout team reps, I think, to try and push the, the, the coaches in the front office to say, look, look, I could do this. Then this morning on Sunday, he took the scout team first, I mean, not scout team, the, the walkthrough first team reps. So he's going to push to play, but mm -hmm. he's got to convince them that this isn't going to aggravate and become a long-term thing. They don't want to turn this into another four- to six-week injury. He's got to really show them that he is fine. 
this won't turn into a you know something that will will elongate for them. But you know, even if he looks healthy tomorrow night, there's still that question, all right, do we sit him down another week? So here's the thing, he's pushing to play. He really is. And from what I understand, he looked you know, really good earlier earlier this morning, but it still is going to be, I think, a, an organizational decision. You know, do we really let him go, even if we see that he looks great, or we let him rest another week? So that's going to come down, I think, really to game time. Maybe that gives you some insight into the uh, golf cart ride between Mike Brown, the Bengals right. owner, and Joe Burrow. Like, hey, man, I'm not trying to lose you for six to eight weeks. Right. Some late-breaking news on a Sunday morning. Love this question. Usher gets announced as the Super Bowl halftime performance. The guy that's been around a lot of Super Bowls. Who are your top three Super Bowl performances? Well, Usher's my dude. I just want to say this. Usher is my guy. Stray and I, a couple years ago, told him uh, we were in Mexico. We ran into him in Mexico, and uh, Usher's like, I really want to come to the NFC Championship game with you guys. And we're like, sure. He, uh, he's a big Falcons fan. He's like, if somehow the Falcons make it, you guys got to let me come. We're like, no doubt, but as long as you're like my, like, you know, my, 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 my assistant, my sideline assistant. Yeah. So you got to hold my energy drinks. You got to hold my little pad. You got to hold this. And sure enough, the Falcons make it. And we kept our end of the bargain. No way. And Usher came out, and he was my little sideline assistant. And I would, like, put my drink over here, like, right over here, and be like, ahem, ahem. Hey, man. And I would I would introduce him to everybody <laughs> as my assistant. Uh, and I call him Usher, Usher Moskowitz. is an inside joke between us. Uh, but I would be like, Moskowitz. So, like, during the middle of while we're on the air, our producer said, go in and, like, give Jay his drink and wipe his head or something like this. And, hey, Mr. Glazer. And I, I just saw him kind of walking in toward it. And I'm like, oh, my God. He has no idea that we're live, not knowing that they put him up to this. And I just say out loud on camera, Moskowitz, we're live. Get out of the shot. And people are like, why did he just call him Moskowitz? Again, another inside story there. But So I love that Usher's in there. I love it. The, the I, think my, I think my favorite, like though, was, was U2 after 9-11. Mm. Mm. My hometown of New Orleans, actually. Mm. Which Seeing Beyonce and Destiny's Child reunite in New Orleans, that does it for me. But I think any Super Bowl <laughs> halftime conversation has to include Prince playing in the rain. Also an amazing oh, no one. Doubt. No doubt. Jay Glazer, love these chats, man. Appreciate the appreciate time so much. Thanks. Ask Glazer. Next time, next time. Use the hashtag. I'm dressing down, you're dressing up. I will dress it up. Absolutely. Appreciate you, sir.